getting mm-hmm. your blood tested because then you accurately can track. And that's part of biohacking. The uh, part that maybe some people don't fully understand, um, the, quanti- the quantified self, which is if you can measure and track it, you can change it. Right. So yeah. having trackers, having labs, having a blood test. Um, I've heard, I think it was Dave Asprey first talk about this, that you're, you are the CEO of your body and your doctor is a consultant. You can consult him on your health and use his expertise, use his professional uh, advice. But at the end of the day, you're responsible for you. Welcome to the Performance Rx podcast, where the conversations are about health, nutrition, and mindset for anyone who considers themselves an athlete. From the most elite competitors to those who are simply seeking to improve their athletic performance, we hope the knowledge shared on this show will empower you to reach your physical potential. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now for today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to today's show. I'm your host, Bridget Maroney, and today my guest is Amir Khan. Amir is a human potential coach who partners with overwhelmed executives and entrepreneurs to be unlimited, live up to their highest potential, have more energy, focus, and have a high performing mind. Amir is a certified coach with the Human Potential Academy, the International Coaching Federation. He's also a certified business coach and a PMI project management professional. Attending several international events, seminars, and workshops in the field of nutrition, health, medicine, biohacking, and bioregenesis. Amir has accumulated a wealth of knowledge, techniques, technologies, and equipment to heal, improve, and enhance the mind and body. Thank you so much for being on this episode with me. I am so excited to talk about um, biohacking, pain, and, and healing, and everything else like that, because personally, I have experienced quite a few injuries in my life. And I, I, I'm personally interested in, in, in biohacking. And I, I think it's like so cool and amazing. Some of the things that we can, we can use to, uh, heal ourselves and, and optimize our health. But, um, besides from that, I think a lot of the things that, uh, you know, are in that world can, can also, you know, be of interest and, and, and help to a lot of people. So I'm, uh, I'm very excited and very happy that you're that you're on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. sometimes we get interested in uh, when things affect us personally in our life, mm-hmm. we become kind of interested in finding solutions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we get attracted to, you know, I think a lot of people get attracted to biohacking or health is because they had some challenge mm-hmm. and you're trying to find those solutions to those challenges. And when you overcome those challenges, mm-hmm. then other people ask you, well, mm-hmm. how did you do that? And sure. you start answering people's questions and you get more interested and uh, you start diving deep and finding solutions. And then it just keeps building off of that. I guess that's just kind of human experience in general, right? Like we're, we're curious creatures and we're here to, in my belief, uh, we're here in this, in this world and in this life, whatever you want to kind of put a label on it, but to kind of share these experiences and, and at the end of the day, really help each other. because. Um, that is like one of the fundamental things that you can do for another person, um, in the world, in my opinion, at least. No, absolutely. Yeah. We're here to grow, expand. And as human beings, we're definitely 
we work better, right, with groups. Mm. And it's yeah. the one thing how our species evolved is yeah. in communities. I mm. mean, there are some species of animals that can be isolated and live mm. alone. And uh, but humans, we do need connection. We do need to bond. And yeah. together, we work together. So sharing information, growing, expanding. And mm. this is how we're evolving. So it's always good to like, you know, learn, share and uh, help other people to expand. So the, um, you know, to um, create expansion for people and to serve people. So it's kind of like really brings the purpose to your life too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Before we get started with the topic of biohacking pain and healing, um, is there anything else that you um, would like to share about your background or, or you know, your life experience that maybe brought you into the, the world of, of biohacking? Anything that you want to add to that um, for the listeners? Yeah, just a quick background. So I spent mm -hmm. about maybe about 12 years in information technology. So I was working in IT, I was doing field support and uh, doing a lot of um, uh, like technology repair, doing server uh, server administration, network design, network administration. So my background was IT and computers and gadgets. I was always interested in in uh, computer systems all the time. So um, that's how I kind of discovered uh, Dave Asprey, who you know he coined the term biohacking. In computer terms, hacking or you know in general, it just means you know trying to find clever solutions and creative use of tools and resources, mm -hmm. and you're trying to create uh, what they call hacks or solutions and thinking outside the box. And I've always been a person who always thought outside the box. I don't normally go with the standard answers, and I'm always looking for is there another way to do this? Mm -hmm. And um, and then when Dave Asprey coined the term biohacking. Um, in his definition, it's the art and science to change the environment outside and the inside of you so that you have total control of your biology and that allows you to like upgrade your life, your body, and your mind. To me, that was like, um, right away, he was speaking my language. It was like the code that uh, I operate on. Um, then after I got laid off back, this is when the 2008, 2009 crash, I started to experiment with different businesses and uh, a lot of it was IT related, but then I had a friend that helped, that it was a chiropractor and pain management clinics. So me and him started a business together uh, doing uh, electric stimulation devices and durable medical equipment and those kind of uh, things. That's when I started working with him and partnering with him, I started um, being in his clinic a lot. and. Then I would just hang out with him and he would show me things about, you know, how to heal. He had all these devices that he had at his clinic that he would use. He would actually have like uh, red light lasers and uh, cold lasers and um, different devices. As a technology person, I just got fascinated with tech healing people, you know, and at the time also I was doing martial arts and, uh, the, and uh, martial arts, you know, you get injured and you get hurt. Working in this clinic was nice because like, oh, I had access to this tech to you know, repair any heal, you know, heal anything. My back was sore, my shoulder or arm or wrist or whatever. And he would show me techniques on like manually adjusting body parts and stuff like that uh, on myself. Mm -hmm. So, and then he would adjust me and then he showed me some self adjustments so I can do things to myself and stretches that I can do. So that got me started on the healing journey. At some point when I was doing a lot of business with him, uh, someone at the clinic was a physical therapist. He, they told me like, you're really interested in this stuff. Why don't you go to massage school and just learn the anatomy? Just get a basic understanding 
how the anatomy works. I found a massage school in New Jersey that uh, does sports massage therapy. Um, uh, the teacher was great, Mark Carangelo, and uh, in East Brunswick, New Jersey. And he has like one of the top schools in New Jersey in sports uh, massage therapy and medical massage therapy. And from him, I learned sports therapy and I learned uh, orthopedic massage therapy. And then he introduced me to another person, James Oslowski, uh, who's pretty famous around the world for orthopedic massage therapy. And I studied with him. Um, so I got really into this whole medical massage part of it. It's beyond the like regular relaxation massage. It's more towards healing and science-based, evidence-based ways and techniques to manipulate soft tissue to help, uh, you know, recover from injuries and uh, help with chronic conditions. And also at the time uh, I was studying Dave Asprey's work and uh, he started this thing called the, in the beginning it was called Bulletproof Coaching, which now is the Human Potential uh, Institute, HPI. And, uh, I went through the process. It was about nine to 10 months. And then that um, became a certified human potential coach uh, through that. And that's where we learned a lot of the skills of like how to properly coach people. Um, there was some things in there about biohacking and resources. And so I just got combining all that information, uh, diet, health, you know, the massage therapy and man working in pain management clinics. I worked in acupuncture clinics, chiropractic clinics. Uh, currently, I'm working with a, with a company that deals with the VA and uh, veteran affairs mm. and the VA hospital. Um, now they support massage therapy as a treatment option for veterans. So I've been doing a lot of work with veterans and I bring my biohacking devices with me to, uh, you know, and there's things that, you know, they're not familiar with because there are a lot of them from the, you know, Vietnam vets and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I try to bring whatever I can to try to help heal people. That's, that's really awesome that you're doing that. And oh, yeah, <laughs> especially for, for yeah, that group. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely appreciate the, the time and the service they put in. And especially mm -hmm. with the Vietnam vets that I meet, mm -hmm. that some of them didn't really have a choice. Like they, there was no choice. They had to go. So, you know, it's it's interesting. Like you say, that there's mm -hmm. more than just the pain. There's uh, emotional trauma, physical trauma. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff going on. And, mm -hmm. um, not, and then I'm meeting younger vets that are more mm -hmm. from the recent places and conflicts and the same thing, even though they're young, they may be like forties, fifties, but you can still see there's a lot of emotional trauma, physical trauma, whatever people's political beliefs are or whatever it is, like we all have to help each other at the end and try to find a way to try to heal and love each other because Absolutely. it's really important. Um, I know when I was younger, it was like, everything's just right or wrong, good or bad. Mm. As I get older, more mature, I kind of realize that it's, it's much more complicated and there's a many shades of gray in between and not to get so locked into one side or the other. Try to keep an open mind. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like you said, at the end of the day, we're, we're, all, we're all humans. And, and I guess to you know, put it simply, everyone's doing the best they can with yeah. what they have. Um, we could talk about so many different <laughs> yeah. things, but, but I, but I do want to dive into, so talking about the, the healing, right. Biohacking pain. Um, again, I, I think physical, you know, physical, emotional, psychological, like pain is something that is a, a shared experience. And so, 
Um, whether you're someone who is a competitive athlete, someone who has, you know, um, had prior military service or just the average everyday person at some point, unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, depending on maybe your philosophy on how we learn things, but, uh, we do experience pain at some point. And so, yeah, let's talk about how people can, um, bring about healing. Cause I, I liked what you said in your, in your experience. Um, and I think this is something that a lot of people are missing in their lives is we, 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 you know, up to a certain point, but there are certain things that we can do for ourselves to help ourselves instead of always having to rely on, um, you know, whatever it is, maybe it's a, a therapist or, or a doctor or just taking a pill for it. There's certain things that, we can do for ourselves to, to heal the pain, but also, you know, we could get into preventative pain or just like you said, with, with biohacking, um, just having a better, more optimized life and body there. I'm definitely someone who tries to like avoid the pharmaceutical options and Mm -hmm. I'm not against pharmaceuticals. Like definitely if you, I always tell clients that, you know, if you, uh, for acute injuries, if you break a leg, get into a car accident, get to a hospital, get to a doc- doctor, you know, you want to get that type of medical treatment uh, right away. Absolutely. But for chronic pain, chronic conditions, chronic inflammation, um, it's really better to try to find the source of the problem and try mm-hmm. to deal with it rather than just putting a Band-Aid on it and, uh, you know, or sweeping things under the rug. And at some point, it's going to bubble up and become a big problem. And you know, prevention is, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So if you can prevent Mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff from happening, really try to find, you know, I can use the word alternative healing without getting too much into the woo-woo. And we can talk about the (laughs) woo-woo stuff later. The evidence-based stuff, the people are hardcore scientists because I came from tech. So in my school, the massage school I went to, my teacher, um, he was very evidence-based and science-based. He really didn't get into the um, the stuff that is more controversial, which mm-hmm. later uh, I started to look into. But um, for in the beginning of this conversation, let's talk about things that uh, people can get access to that has some evidence uh, evidence based, and then we can talk to about uh, uh, other treatments. Awesome. I guess let's start with maybe maybe just the preventative aspect there. Like what are some things that people can do on a, on a day-to-day basis that can, um, you know, help them, you know, avoid certain injuries or, um, and I think we've talked about this, if they are injured, because in, in my belief or in my experience, it's not necessary, especially if you're in sport and fitness, um, it's not necessarily a matter of if, but when, um, what can they do where, when they do come up against an injury, it's not as severe as it might potentially be due to the fact that they're taking care of themselves and their body's a little bit more resilient than than, uh, you know, an average person. Yes. So, um, I would say, uh, some things that people can look into is like, uh, self myofascial release and doing, you know, like foam rolling, um, using little like lacrosse balls. And so fascia is this layer over your muscle. It's Mm -hmm. almost like this covering. Like, uh, if anyone who, 
uh, ever like cut a piece of chicken and you see the muscle meat and then you see this white layer on top. And I almost describe to people like it's almost like a saran wrap over your your muscles. And that, that uh, covering, which is living tissue, and mm -hmm. it has a job and a purpose. But when you get injured, that tissue sometimes will uh, create adhesions into the muscle, which is known as myofascial adhesions. Myo meaning muscle, fascial, the fascia, and adhesions because it got glued and stuck together. And when those myofascial adhesions, um, just imagine when you take saran wrap and you just kind of scrunch it up, it gets all like, you know, knots in it. And then mm -hmm. smoothing those things out and doing myofascial release by gliding, pulling, uh, foam rolling, uh, a lacrosse ball, putting direct pressure on it, or uh, something called myofascial cup gliding. Um, I have, let me show, show you real quick. Uh, so this is a silicon cup. So this is different from Chinese cups. Um, yeah. Chinese cups different. are a little controversial. Like some people believe in them, some people don't. I know um, I always get into these conversations with people that uh, on both sides of the story. This is a little different. So on, on this one, you would mm -hmm. put a little bit of uh, oil, you know, put this in and you would glide it and move it. That way it's going to actually lift the skin and then hopefully lift uh, a bit of that fascia off the muscle. When you're gliding it, you're stretching the skin and you're stretching the fascia off the muscle. So if there are any adhesions in the fascia, uh, it will get off the muscle and yeah. give it some space. And it'll, you know, also uh, move fluid. So you have, you know, your blood and you have your lymphatic fluid. So it's going to kind of move everything around. So if you have any inflammations in that area, so these are really cheap. You can get them on Amazon. They come in different sizes and they have like smaller ones where you can do it on your neck. The smaller ones for here. Um, if you have some help, you can, you know, try to get it uh, across your back. With clients, I kind of I take this all the way across their back. So mm -hmm. when I work with athletes, when I work with people who do CrossFit, I do people... Um, we're doing triathlons. I usually run this from, from up their neck all the way down to their back and just like lift. And it's interesting, especially with athletes, in the beginning, especially if they're very lean, the skin is like glued on to that muscle. When I get the cup on there, it's kind of hard to like glide it. As I do it for like five minutes, the skin starts to kind of very gently peel off the, mm -hmm. the muscle. And then it just glides like, no problem. And my clients tell me afterwards that like for a week, they just feel like really loose and they, they felt like uh, a lot more flexible and they performed better in whatever sport or whatever they were doing. And, and it's interesting that you bring up like specifically athletes because I was, are you familiar with um, Dr. Kelly Starrett's? Oh, yes. He's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought so, but um, I like to ask. Yeah, I was, I was actually using his, um, his Ready State app yesterday for my own myofascial uh release there um and and just you know working on some uh some foam rolling and everything so sometimes i practice what i preach i i wish i could say i were were a lot better about it but um i'm getting there but uh yeah. when i was i was working on my thoracic spine and he brought up athletes um specifically and he was saying you know in the general population it's usually the lumbar spine that's stiffer because people are sitting all day and everything else like that. But, um, in the athlete, and I know you were specifically talking about maybe more neck, so cervical, but he mentioned how the thoracic spine is a lot stiffer yeah. in, in athletes. And, you know, he does work with CrossFit athletes. So that's a lot of overhead, but I just think probably an athlete in general, 
you think about like the turning and everything that happens in there, the rotation. Yeah. Yeah. Ro- so. yeah ro- rotation, you know, you want to make sure you have good rotation. Um, for the thoracic spine, one second. I would definitely recommend getting these things. I don't know if you've seen, you've probably seen this on the internet. Yeah. They're called chirp wheels. Yeah. And um, I, I was working with this chiropractor one time. He had it in his office. And I was like, oh, can I try that? He's like, yeah, go ahead. And then, you know, you roll this on your back mm-hmm. and it has a little groove in there. And yeah. it will um, spontaneously adjust the, the spine. I've had a lot of good luck fixing my thoracic spine, that upper back and lower back areas with that. And it's also doing myofascial release with that. You can yeah. roll that on your IT, IT band um, <laughs> and your quads and your hamstrings. Um, as far as IT bands, uh, my teachers recommend not to foam roll the IT band because they really? don't want that fascia to be glued on to the IT band because mm. there's not much muscle there. I know for a very long time, people had taught to foam roll the IT band, but like James Loslowski, Mark Rangel, the people I studied with, they say that it's not a good idea to foam roll the IT band, but you can cup the IT band. So if you myofascial uh, glide and pull the fascia mm. off the IT band, that'll loosen your IT band. And then you can foam roll the, the, quad, the quads, the muscles in the front and the hamstrings, mm. the muscles on the back, and also the TFL muscles. If you want to foam roll those, that's okay. You want to foam roll more muscles rather than uh, tissues like IT band, which is not really a muscle. That's that's interesting, and that's I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, I've uh, I mean for for people who maybe haven't had experience with their own IT band, it is tough. It is like such just it's just it's such a just I don't know someone described it once as like a like tire <laughs> like tire oh, yeah. rubber it's so thick and tough and um and yeah i i have attempted uh i've attempted to foam roll my it band but i've also gotten in there with a lacrosse ball and it it, it sucked <laughs> yeah, so it's um very yeah. very painful yeah yeah and um you, you will actually have better luck if you worked on your iliacus psoas oh. and your tfl <laughs> which are the uh deep core abdomen mm. muscles where your pelvis is those two pointy parts in the, the bone there. If, yeah. you, if you just place your hand in the abdomen and squeeze into there, you have iliacus psoas. So if you have mm-hmm. a lot of back pain working in there, and then there's this other thing, let me show you these two things. And you brought all your so, toys today. I love yeah. it. <laughs> so this one is a, a sorite. Yep. So on this one, you just lay down on top of it and you know get in there. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, it's not going to feel very good. If you have really tight, iliac and psoas is going to be very tender and very sore over time when you build up to it it's going to feel really good it's going to take like several weeks for it to feel good but that will un- unlock your iliacus and psoas and then there's this other thing similar idea called a hip hook and you can do the same thing you can kind of just like put it in there and kind of find your iliacus psoas but working your iliacus psoas um there are some people who get such a tight iliacus psoas because you're mm-hmm. sitting on the desk all day just typing, those muscles are crunched in, and locked in one position. It gets so tight that it's, you start to form things in the back. So a lot of pain that's in the back is usually something happening in the, in the front. If you're on the desk typing all day and you have like that forward leaning neck happening, mm-hmm. it's because these muscles back here are, are now elongated and the muscles mm-hmm. in the front, the pecs, are too tight. So you have to stretch the front 
And then you got to exercise those muscles in the back to try to get that um, realigned and get it to, to move your shoulders back. Anyone that has that neck and back pain, it's, it's almost always a muscle imbalance where you have to have this area is too tight and this area is too loose. You know, I think for people who um, haven't explored their, their tissues or, or their bodies, you know, in the ways that you're describing, like with some of these tools and implements, like it's, it's really eye-opening to see like, okay, I'm feeling pain, um, you know, in, you know, my chest or whatever, but it's actually the, the culprit is, is in my, um, in my, in my subscap region and, yeah. you know, or, or wherever it is, like our, our bodies are, are, are kind of amazing and also <laughs> a little yeah. tricky to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Whenever, whenever I'm working with clients and I, if I have like an athlete or something and they, they tell me they have a lot of pain, especially what you say, like the subscap or back there, mm-hmm. like a, like a pinpoint pain. Um, I always ask them, I'm like, when was the last time you did push up? And they're like, mm-hmm. oh, I just worked on chest yesterday or I did, did a bunch of push ups a couple of days ago. Because when you do push ups, and then I asked them, the second question is, all right, after you did your push ups, when did you work your back? And they're like, oh, I, I didn't work my back. I didn't do any rows. I'm like, that's why you have that pain. And um, I learned that a long time ago, which is why I just stopped doing push ups because I would always get that pain. So I do other type of chest exercises. I just, and I do a lot of back exercises. Um, but uh, that pain, and then just to test it out myself, I don't know why I did this, but uh, uh, about a month ago, I started doing push-ups again. And almost two days later, I got a deep, deep pain back there. And since I know this stuff, what I worked on was my chest. I just kind of like really, really stretched it out. And I, I use all these tools to try to get this chest back there. Like the next day, it was a lot better. You feel the pain in the wrong spot. If you can, you know, relax the area that's a problem, the pain will like kind of shut off and go away. If you're having neck pain, it's probably the muscles up here. The SEM, yes. Yeah. So sternocleidomastoid. So this is something you just do on your own. So if mm-hmm. you're having a lot of neck pain issues, just going in there, just kind of loosening that up and stretch and doing things on your own. The other thing I should mention, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, is, you know, red light therapy. Yeah. So uh, red lights can definitely help reduce inflammation, pain. So, yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with that one. <laughs> yeah. I, anytime I thrown out my back, I mm. would put that red light on my back. And uh, especially with the pulse on, because uh, that one is from True Light. That's a, one of Dave Asprey's portfolio companies. And mm-hmm. the pulse seems to shut off pain. So if you keep it steady, it will help, uh, I guess, heal the area and help push that inflammation, you know, help the mitochondria and all that stuff. So facilitates healing faster. So I actually threw out my back three weeks ago doing like deadlifts and stuff like that. And Mm. uh, I I use a bunch of these tools and then I use a red light every day. And like within, um, within a few days, I think within three days, I was doing deadlifts again. I was a little sore. And then within 10 days, it was like gone. Wow. So your body has a natural ability to heal if you Absolutely. give it the tools, resources, or just the mindfulness, like you want you, your intention to heal. Oh my gosh. Um, intention is such an important thing. I was, so I've recently had my own, um, unfortunate injury in my knee with, um, a grade two. So partial tear of the ACL and my MCL. And luckily right now I'm, I, I'm able to avoid, uh, 
surgery for it and I'm going through physical therapy. And of course, you know, also using some of these, these biohacks here, especially with the inflammation. Um, but really quick that what you said about intention, I was looking at, um, the physical therapist notes and, they have you know, the whole assessment and everything, and then it has prognosis. And then my prognosis was good, but the comment under it is, or was, um, um, patient is motivated, you know, to work, you know, to work towards healing or, or, or whatever. That's not exactly what I said, but basically it was that it was like you said, intention, motivation and things like that. Like, Yes, absolutely. Our, our bodies are again, like these amazing <laughs> organisms that, you know, have its own ability to heal, especially if you can give it the raw materials it, it needs or is lacking. Um, but it doesn't just, and I think that's where like people criticize biohacking, um, because they don't understand it. They're like, Oh, biohackers, they're just, you know, looking for a shortcut or they're not, um, you know, whatever, trying to do things, the, you know, whatever, like through consistency and it's, that's not it at all. It's, you know, like you said, it's, 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 I don't know, in my, in my opinion, I think it's, it's more of just like you mentioned in the beginning, like finding alternative ways and things like that and having this um, open mind of like, okay, well, what if I try this, you know, what if, you know, what about that? There's, and, and again, like people point to evidence, they're like, well, there's not enough evidence or it, it, or there's not enough evidence to make it clinically significant. And it's like, but there is some evidence and yeah. it's not all black and white. Like you could find, um, a, a clinical study on anything that says yeah. the opposite of, of what you're, so that's, yeah, that's depending my rant. Depending <laughs> on who for the research and depending yeah. on what, yes, what the biases are. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you have to be kind of careful. But yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, to be fair, uh, when people say biohacking might be a shortcut and, you know, that's kind of how I got into it myself. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I, I guess as you get more interested in deeper, you start to learn like, you know, more long-term and more sustainable ways. I don't think there's anything wrong for a shortcut. It's like, if we're human beings. We learn how to do things mm. efficiently. There's yeah. a reason you drive a car. Yeah, exactly. So, What's know, wrong with efficiency? Like, you know, looking for a shortcut. Yeah, we're, we're humans. We look for the efficient way. There's this quote. It's attributed to Bill Gates. I don't know if he actually said this, but it's like um, he would hire the laziest person because they would find a way to do the job the fastest. Totally. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard that. Uh, I've never heard that, but uh, I'm going to use that um, in my <laughs> in my marriage there because my wife likes to pick on me. She's like, you always take the path of least resistance. I'm like, no, I'm just finding the most yeah. efficient way to do things. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have I have yeah. other things I want to do with my time. Um, exactly. Get, yeah. Um, well, getting back into um, into inflammation, you brought up the red light yeah. therapy and I mentioned, you know, kind of briefly, like inflammation especially when you do have that acute injury um so before I guess we really get into inflammation uh if you just hold that one thought i want to bring sure, up sure, something sure. you brought right before the inflammation Absolutely. was um the prognosis that you saw in your doctor's notes oh yes yeah, yeah so there's this idea so we all know the placebo effect right they actually mm. placebo effect is a very real effect and i know again with biohacking people think oh you're just doing that as a placebo effect placebo effect is used in evidence-based medicine is how they test tested yeah. against the placebo. So whether it's placebo or not placebo, it's not fully understood yet.
but there's this opposite of placebo called the nocebo. So in the placebo effect, you're looking for a positive result. In the nocebo effect is the negative result. So a doctor can put a negative thought in your head. For example, if a doctor gives a diagnosis and says you have cancer, you have 10 days to live, hmm. if you took that to heart and you really believed into in that, and it's like, oh, I only have 10 days, all of a sudden, you know, many cancer outcomes is because of what the doctor said. So he put the negative thought in your head. So I have a really good example in the story. Um, I recently met a patient uh, that was in a really bad motorcycle accident and they put pins in his neck and they're cutting off the circulation down his left side. So his left side is uh, becoming atrophied. And what he told me was when he woke up in the hospital and uh, he couldn't feel anything below his neck and he... Um, after some time, he was getting very anxious and he just wanted to go home. And he kept uh, requesting the doctor, complaining to the doctor that I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to leave here. I want to get out of here. And the doctor was a little bit arrogant. And he, what he said in his words was that he was being a little bit of a jerk. So the doctor mm -hmm. said, I'll tell you what, you can get out of that bed and walk to the door. I'll let you go home. Wow. And with all his will and intent, we talked about mm -hmm. intent. He, yeah managed to get get out of bed and walk to the door like you know like just kind of stumbled to the door and the doctor was shocked the nurses didn't know what to do so the doctor's like oh get him a walker got a walker and he walked out of the hospital when he wow. got home they told him we're not sure how you walked because you're not technically supposed to be able to walk right now and uh you know that happened like uh two or three years ago mm. so he still has weakness and atrophy but he's still walking till his day and he even he told me, he's like, I'm not sure what I would have done if the doctor had told me that I would never walk again, because mm -hmm. then I would have never tried. That's the power of placebo and nocebo. That the, and he told me that when he woke up, nobody, the doctors and the nurse didn't say to him, you will never walk again. He never heard those words. But he's like, if I heard those words, I don't know if I would be walking today. Wow. It's so fascinating. Um, I guess you can call it mind-body connection or, or mind over matter or, or whatever. I, I don't know. I'm sure there's there's a better way to describe it, but. Um, well, that's where you get into a little bit of the woo-woo into this about, you know, quantum <laughs> yeah. field and bioenergetic light. And um, I mean, now we're getting better scientific instruments that can measure these things. Like mm -hmm. you might have heard like mitochondria that signal each other through biophotonic light. They now have in instruments that can detect um, at a really small scale what's happening in the body. And only in recent years, they discovered that mitochondria are speaking to each other. And they've mm -hmm. discovered mitochondria. Uh, so anyone who doesn't know mitochondria, mitochondria are little organelles that are inside every single cell of your body. They basically are the power plants or the battery cells, mm -hmm. they, they produce it, uh, electricity, they produce energy for the cell to live. And the more mitochondria you have, the more energy you have, healthy mitochondria, and you have more youth and more energy. Where they discovered these little tiny organelles that exist in these cells, these mitochondria, that they are able to communicate to each other and they are able to sense your environment. They're mm -hmm. sensing the temperature, they're sensing, um, you know, light, they're sensing everything that's sort of happening around you and they're signal, signaling to each other. And this is going beyond your brain brain stuff. Like this, before your brain even gets the information, the mitochondria have already communicated to each other. 
So your tissues are adapting to the environment faster than the brain can possibly. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Like there's there's so much um, about our world, our bodies, like even, you know, um, even just like someone made a comment the other day about like, there's a lot we don't know about, or there's a lot we don't know about connective tissue, or there's a lot that we thought about connective tissue that maybe we were wrong about, but even all the way down to, like you said, like the, the microscopic, you know, cellular, cellular level there, like, uh, yeah, mitochondria has been, you know, the, they're definitely an aspect of, of our biology that's, that's fascinated me in the, in the past couple of years and really focusing on that. And I, I would add to what you said, because, um, you know, being active in sports and everything I've, I, I had learned a while ago, you know, uh, endurance runners have tons of mitochondria. That's why they have so much energy to, to go. But I would say on top of being able to create a lot of mitochondria, having them work efficiently too, right? Because I think some, and, and, and I think you've learned this, or I'm, I'm assuming you've probably learned this as well, but it's like, you can have a lot of mitochondria, but if they're dysfunctional, that's, that's not, you know, productive or, or useful. Um, yeah. so like really having them be efficient, um, and Which yeah. is a great segue into inflammation because when your yes. mitochondria are not working properly, then you have inflammation and then it's, it's a chicken and the egg. It's like you have mm. dysfunctioning mitochondria creating inflammation or you have inflammation that makes your mitochondria dysfunctional. Yeah, totally. You know, and, and I think you, uh, you brought up a great point of the chicken and the egg, right? So, and, and kind of going back to what we said in the beginning of, you know, in my opinion, when an injury strikes, um, what can people do to be already pretty resilient so that that injury is, is less catastrophic or, you know, doesn't take as much time. And I think inflammation plays into that because if, like you were saying, if you're already inflamed, if your body's already inflamed and then, um, you have this injury, well, now there's even more inflammation. And, um, I guess, something to also just kind of point out there for, for a minute, inflammation, everything in our body is, is there for a reason, right? It's, it's part of our evolution. It has a purpose. And so inflammation, and, and maybe you can, you know, describe it in a little bit more detail, but inflammation does have like a purpose as far as healing, um, when it comes to this injury. Yeah. yeah there's good inflammation, there's bad inflammation. Like when you work out and you're, you know, you're, you're creating a good inflammation. So like, I know some people work out really heavy and they'll take mm. an anti-inflammatory, like an aspirin or an NSAID. And you mm. don't want to do that. You want that good inflammation from exercise because that's a signal to the body to, you know, make the, um, heal the muscles and make the muscles grow. And, uh, so that's good inflammation. Uh, and they call it hermetic stress mm -hmm. rather than bad inflammation which is, you know, maybe you have um, a gut inflammation or there's uh, inflammation that's going to lead to a, a bad outcome. So I guess regardless of whether it's, uh, you know, good or bad inflammation um, or if it's chronic or acute there, um, when people are injured or, or experiencing pain or in need of healing, what are some things we mentioned, the, the red light therapy, what other sorts of, I guess, modalities or, or biohacks could we can we speak um, on there? For inflammation and healing, um, one thing I definitely recommend everybody is like, watch what you eat. I know a lot mm. of people want to get on these detox programs and they buy these green juices and cleanses and liver cleanses. First, start eating clean as much mm -hmm. as you can. 
stop putting the toxins in to begin with, your <laughs> liver is designed to detox on its own. So you can give it things to help it. Like, you know, you can take uh, glutathione as a supplement that helps the liver detox some things. But people get so caught up in buying detox programs that they don't first look at, uh, let's try to like stop the detox from the toxin from getting in first. So I always work from there first. Like, okay, let's try to see what we can remove. So clean air, clean water, um, clean food as best as you can. Um, people really take for granted, you know, if you look at survival, the first thing you need to survive is air. Because if you don't breathe, like that's the first thing that's going to kill yeah. you, right? The second yeah. thing is water. Because you could like not eat for days and survive. But if you don't have water for more than, um, I don't know if it's like seven to 10 days, like yeah. it could be fatal. Yeah. So water, clean water, and then food, right? Mm -hmm. So those are like three basic things to, to be able to uh, bare minimum to survive. So having an air purifier, making sure you're, I know I'm here in Los Angeles, so the air is really bad. So we have like two or three air filters uh, in the mm -hmm. house and um, water purification, like get a reverse osmosis system, but you know, make sure you remineralize the water because reverse mm -hmm. osmosis kind of takes everything out, but you right. have to put some electrolytes back in before you drink it. Um, so there's a few out there in the market you can take a look at. I use a Berkey water, which is a gravity water filtration. You just pour water on top, you wait an mm -hmm. hour and the water comes down, it drips down. So it has uh, charcoal and uh, fluoride filters so it can really clean. So Berkey, it's a um, pretty affordable system that anyone can get. Berkey was designed by a British military officer and he made it for the troops. So when they're traveling, they can just take uh, rainwater or uh, water from the lake, pour it into the top tank. And when it comes out from the bottom, it's 99.99% pure. Uh, something like that, um, clean, clean out your water. And then the food, you know, making sure you eat foods that are won't cause inflammation. So those are things like um, uh, dairy, glutens, bread, pastas, uh, vegetable oil, seed oils, you know, your corn oil, soy oil, you know, soybeans. Um, uh, some sugars. Uh, do you have anything that? I was going to say just like anything that's highly, highly processed or ultra processed there, which I, you know, when we talk about ultra processed foods, it's, they're usually foods that contain like high amounts of refined sugar, all of those, those industrial, you know, seed oils there. Um, yeah, it was interesting. We, we know someone who's getting ready to move. And so they're, they're sending us, they're like cleaning out their pantry and they're like, you want some spices? And we're like, yeah, sure. Whatever. And they gave us corn oil and my wife's looking at, she's like, what is corn oil even used for? And I was like, you don't want to know. And she looked it up and she's like, oh my God, like what? I'm like, just, just throw it away. You know, it's funny how many yeah. people I meet and I tell them, you know, they ask me if canola oil's okay. I'm like, do you know the oh. history of canola oil and what canola yeah. means? Canola oil is Canadian oil and it was originally designed wow. fuel. And mm. uh, they took, uh, I guess they took grapeseed and they uh, genetically modified it and they made uh, uh, Canadian oil, canola. Mm. That's what it stands for. And Somehow they figured out it's not immediately toxic to humans, but uh, when you when you yeah. heat it, you know it's going to oxidize, and those uh, they're very high levels of omega six, PUFA, P U F A, polyunsaturated fatty acids, and they 
damage the mitochondria. They clog up the yeah. whole system. So, and, and the corn oil, soy oil, all the seed oils, the processed oils, they, it's a type of fat and your, all your cells in your body are made from fat. So what ends up happening is it starts the cellular membrane, which is made of a fat, it starts to use those uh, processed uh, corn oils and stuff like that to become the membrane of your cells over time. Because mm -hmm. your body needs fats to build new cells. And if yep. that's the only fat you're eating, then that's the only choice it has to use. The problem is those oxidized, damaged fats then kind of damage the, the cell membranes of those cells. I've heard and read, um, I think I heard uh, in one of Dave Asprey's books, he said it takes about two and a half years to try to like change out those membranes. Uh, mm -hmm. You have to be eating clean for like two and a half years. And I think in some book, uh, a different doctor was talking about it could take up to seven years to wow. try to completely get rid of those seed oils out of your body. I would have to go back and read. I, I guess you're probably referencing Headstrong because um, that was the one that... Uh, or one of the ones I read from Dave Asprey. Right <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I see it. I love that book. Um, on that note, they're not necessarily something to avoid for, but th that's one of the, like even in, in a basic nutrition protocol, like balancing out your fats and making sure. So you mentioned the omega-6s and I think a lot of people are familiar with omega-3, but that's the reason why people advocate so highly for omega-3 fatty acids is because they're, you know, better for that. They create a healthier cell membrane there, but they also have those anti-inflammatory uh, properties there. Yeah. So um, you have to have a balance because some people overdo it on the omega threes and true, you have to be true. careful with the quality of the omega three. Mm -hmm. I try to tell people uh, if they can eat fresh fish and yeah. make sure it's a good quality and try to eat the, the whole food. Mm -hmm. There's some controversy currently I just saw recently in the past year or two about the quality of omega-3 oils sold on the market. And some mm. of them are oxidized and damaged. Totally. Yeah. And what they're saying is the way you're extracting uh, these PUFAs, PUFAs from seed oils, you're extracting mm -hmm. omega-3 from, from uh, seafoods. It's going to oxidize. As soon as you extract yeah. it out, it's oxidizing. If you ate corn or if you ate a vegetable, Without it extracted, you're getting some benefit from eating that vegetable. But when exactly. you take a vegetable oil, you extracted it from that thing. And now it oxidizes and creates damage in your system. So in the last year or two, I've been reading is a similar situation with omega-3s where if you're extracting it from a source, um, unless the company you trusted really and they have a good process, but there's yeah. so many companies out there and you don't know what they're doing, what their, yeah. their extraction process and once they extract it, how are they making sure it's not oxidizing? They have a, a system where they can, they can make sure it's not oxidized. That's great. And you need to have an omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. So there are some people who are just way too much omega-3, and that's causing problems. So always having a balance. Like your mm -hmm. body has this thing called homeostasis. It likes to be at a balance. You know, your blood pH, your body temperature, you know, your heart rate, all this stuff is regulated. It needs mm -hmm. to be in certain limits. So you don't want to go, you want to supplement with something, but just, you know, just know your limits and know where you're supposed to be at. No, absolutely. Um, and, and again, I think that's probably where people, um, 
kind of cast a critical eye on, on biohacking or just anyone who's into supplementing, because there are people who take it too far, like looking at like, for example, minerals, um, you know, magnesium, selenium, uh, you know, copper and things like that. These are all great things to have and the body needs them, but it's very easy to, I guess you could say overdose on them. And, and so, um, one thing in, in my opinion, I think is important for people to do is, is go get blood work. First of all, just yeah. to see if you're, cause like, just don't take, you know, like, uh, you know, and I guess that's something just to kind of keep in mind in general, like we're throwing a couple of ideas out there, but at the end of the day, and I think this is the art of, or this is the, the heart of biohacking is it we're all individual, right? Like, um, uh, you know, we all have different biological needs and, 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 and everything else like that. And so trying to figure out what your biology needs to, you know, work as optimally as possible is, is really, um, you know, I guess the, 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 the root of, of, of all of it. So, um, just because yeah, omega threes, like to your point, omega three is, is a, is a good fat quote, you know, good fat to have in general, like you mentioned, um, a lot of people get out of balance with it or, or, or whatever, given, you know, whatever their yeah. lifestyle and environment is. Um, yeah. Cause people discover supplements and they just tend to overdo it sometimes. I know I did in the past just overdo yeah. things and you brought a very good point about blood testing. So mm-hmm. people ask me about supplements all the time and it's like, okay, if you, um, and supplements is a controversial area where some people are like, oh, just eat whole foods. And uh, a lot of doctors uh, will say, you don't need vitamins. You're just, you know, you're just expensive urine. But Dave Asprey makes this point that if we lived a thousand years ago where there was no pollution, the air quality, water quality, food quality, we didn't have as many toxins we were exposed to. So back then, maybe the food quality was higher and then you know you don't need so many vitamins back then but today we're exposed to so many toxins we're overloaded with things so we do need supplementation because we're we're getting bombarded with stuff plus food quality is really really poor with the gmo monocropping the soil is not healthy anymore it doesn't have vitamins and minerals you've been using fertilizer for the last like 100 years or so is really just destroyed the quality of the soil And, um, right now there's this whole research into like, you know, rebuilding the soil quality. I was having a conversation with a a client the other day. I was like, I remember as a kid when it rained and I grew up in Jersey city in New Jersey. And when it rained, we saw worms come up from the ground. It'll be all over the sidewalk. Now it rains. I've not seen a worm in like 30 years. Mm, That's (laughs) a good point. Yeah. (laughs) So those worms were, were, part of the soil quality of the, the, I guess the biome of the soil and that no longer exists. We use so much pesticides, fertilizer in chemicals, industrial stuff that our soil is dead. There's no yeah. life in the soil. So the fruits and vegetables don't really have the right vitamins and minerals. So, but going back to the blood testing, getting mm-hmm. your blood tested, because then you accurately can track. And that's part of biohacking. The uh, part that maybe some people don't, fully understand um, the quanti- the quantified self, which is if you can measure and track it, you can change it. Like, so yeah. having trackers, having labs, having a blood test. Um, I've heard, I think it was Dave Asprey first talk about this, that your 
you are the CEO of your body and your doctor is a consultant. You can consult him on your help and use his expertise, use his professional uh, advice. But at the end of the day, you're responsible for you and you got to make your decisions and you can, you know, follow the plan the doctor says, or you might look for a second opinion, a third opinion. You can do, you know, read some books, do your own research, but you can definitely go as deep as you want, but you're ultimately in charge, but you need to be somewhat responsible in measuring and tracking your biology. Mm-hmm. So getting the lab tests, taking a look at them, um, you know, you can get trackers now. So this one yeah. is, uh, oh, what is this? This is a bio strap. So, you know, heart rate monitor, HRV. Uh, I think this does SpO2 and that has something on my ankle that tracks the steps. Mm. So then it gives you data and then you can see what your sleep quality is at, what your exercise is at. And you probably heard of the aura ring. That's really, really yep. popular and it's very accurate. So mm-hmm. the aura ring, you just wear the ring um, and it will do the same thing. It'll track sleep quality. It's going to track your SpO2, VO2 max. It's going to track your exercise. It's going to do all those things. And if you track and measure it, then you know where you're at. And it gives yeah. you very useful data. So uh, just very, very recently, like three days ago, I was listening to a podcast. Um, it was an interview with Dave Asprey. <laughs> he talked about taking 10 milligrams of melatonin time release. I have not been doing that. I take a, a microdose of melatonin. I take 0.3 grams. So normally you go to the drugstore, you'll see anywhere from one gram to three grams. But I read a study where the minimum effective dose was 0.3. So I've been just mm-hmm. doing 0.3 and it's been you know, working fine. But when he said 10 grams, I said, all right, I have one bottle that's three grams. So I took the three grams and for two nights, I did not sleep well at all. Like my really? normal, uh, so this, all these devices track my sleep. It shows, okay, I slept, let's say seven or eight hours. And of that, an hour to hour and a half is deep sleep. That's just the restorative, regenerative sleep that your body mm-hmm. starts healing. But when I took three milligrams, it was showing my deep sleep went down to like the first night, 30 minutes, the second night, 15 minutes after eight hours. And I didn't feel so good the next day anyway. And then I knew right away, I'm not doing that again. So I stopped taking that supplement and I went back to the uh, 0.3 milligram supplement. And my deep sleep, you know, last night was back to an hour and a half, one, one hour and 23 minutes deep sleep. How would I have known that? I took a supplement. I didn't know how it was going to change my biology, but that's evidence-based data. And N equals one is another thing a lot of people I was literally about to say that, yeah. (laughs) But there's value in that. I mean, absolutely. You know, I think I made a comment in the beginning, like people like to point at, you know, studies or whatever that it's like not clinically significant, but it's like, okay, what is what could be more clinically significant in the context of one's own life, but your own, like you said, N equals one experiment there. Um, yeah. Especially like, yeah, it's interesting about the melatonin. Again, that's like another supplement that it, it's you know generally recognized as safe and um, has all this evidence linked to helping people sleep. And yeah, you mentioned people like Dave Asprey take 10 milligrams. I think the supplement that I take is, is like yours. Like it's like, 0.3. And then there's some other things in there, um, like valerian root and 5-HTP and everything else like that, that work for me to help calm my anxiety. But my wife will take it and she's just all out of sorts. Um, and unfortunately she doesn't track her sleep the way I do, but 
even just, I think waking up, I, I, I like what you said. I think there is value in like having the specifics there because then you can pinpoint like, oh, I didn't sleep well last night. And here's the reason why I was only in 15 minutes of deep sleep. Um, but even just simply being like, I don't feel good doing this. Like, well, that's, that's enough of a, that's enough feedback to, to, to realize that you need to change, um, yeah. you know, change whatever it is that you're doing. And it, and yeah, it's, it's not all, um, you know, one size fits all here. Um, yeah. I wanted to bring up, so still, still talking about, um, the, uh, inflammation and you brought up the whole idea of, you know, there's, there's good inflammation. Um, I wonder, I wanted to talk about cryotherapy and, and here's the reason why, because cryotherapy, I think is, is very popular. A lot of people do it. Biohackers, non-biohackers, like it's, you know, there's, it's, it's kind of gotten very popular, um, over the past, I don't know five, eight years here, like everything from like people going into the chambers to just people having buckets or barrels at, at their house. And they just sit in cold water. And I know people do it for various reasons, but, um, and one of them is for, for pain management and, and, and inflammation reduction. But there was, there was one podcast I was listening to, um, with a coach, uh, he's a CrossFit coach, Ben Bergeron. And, and he's really the only one that I've, I've heard make a case against um, cryotherapy or, or cold therapy, but he was saying that in terms of athletic recovery or recovery from training and sport, it's not a good idea because of that, you know, good inflammation. And that when you see athletes in ice baths and things, it's not really helping their performance or it's not improving their performance outside of the fact that they're just not feeling source or like, you're at a, a, a competition for the day and it's really hot outside. So you're bringing your core temperature down. But his argument was, and again, this was just one person. And I think that's, you know, going back to the idea of people are going to disagree, but his whole argument was as far as recovery um, from training and everything else like that to, to not do ice baths and everything. So I was, uh, yeah, yeah, that's actually found very recently they did a study that uh, doing cryotherapy immediately after uh, strength training, uh, anabolic type of exercises negatively impacts recovery. So there, there is something to what he's saying, like Lee Point. And other, I've heard other doctors talk about it, like Dr. Andrew Huberman, and uh, there was another doctor that I heard it from. So what they're saying, you have to wait a little while, it's like a few hours after mm. you've done your training. Because you want that good inflammation. So yeah. cryotherapy, um, like you said, either an ice bath or um, uh, a chamber, which fills the, cools the air to like minus, you know, 200, 300 degrees, something like that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so it's very, very, very cold, which is very interesting because um, when I grew up in New York and New Jersey, you know, we have long winters and uh, I really didn't like it. I actually left that area to come to Los Angeles because I didn't want to deal with the snow, ice, and everything. And then I heard about this cryo stuff, and I'm like, uh, I I was not interested for many many years. I was like, not interested. But um, but I just just kept kept coming up, kept seeing it. Then you probably heard mm. of Wim Hof, the Wim Hof method, mm, where he yep. talks about the breathing and the cold yeah. therapy. Last year, I was like, all right, you know, let me try it. And then I started with cold showers. So I, you take a shower, your regular warm shower, and at the end. You turn off the hot water and just let the cold uh, hit you in the face and chest for like, you know, a couple of seconds and then, you, you know, you're done. So 
and then you work your way up. So I remember that first time I, because I really, I'm the person that like stays under the sheet, doesn't want to get out of bed. I'm always, <laughs> I was, I used to be always cold. But since I started doing that, it really radically changed the way my body reacts to uh, heat and cold. So when I first time I shut the hot water off and I'm like already tense, I know it's going to hit me. And as soon as it hit me, it just like locked up. I couldn't breathe. I was just like in shock. <laughs> yeah. And then I just like right away, you know, just shut off the water. And then I was like, and what that is, your body, for some reason, thinks it's dying. And it's a fear. And, you know, it's an unconscious fear. And it's body's trying to protect itself. So, so you have these subconscious routines. We talked about mitochondria being sensors. They're sensing the environment the whole time. So they can detect change in temperature. You know, all these signaling is happening. And uh, you're, there's all sorts of biochemical, neurochemical things that are happening. So when I repeated this thing over again, the next day, I had to kind of like talk to myself, self-talk, like, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. I'm going to live. I'm going to live. It's okay. You won't die. Just, you know, it's okay. And then did it again. It was a little bit longer. And then I just kept doing it. Now I don't even bother turning the hot water on. I just mm-hmm. turn cold and it'll go straight in cold and there's no problems now, which is really crazy that I can do that. Well, something mm-hmm. that happens, I train the brain. I'm not going to die. Um, you're only in there for a couple of minutes with the cold shower and the exposure to cold uh, on your face, especially your um, the frontal lobe here and mm-hmm. your neck, you're making the mitochondria increase. They will actually grow. There'll be more mitochondria. It will convert white fat to brown fat. And uh, it's brown because it has more mitochondria in it. And um, the more mitochondria you have, the more energy you have. So I definitely felt that. Um, definitely less inflammation and pain. Um, but again, you don't want to do this right after an exercise event because you have that what's known as a hormetic stress, which is like mm-hmm. a good stress to make you stronger. And that inflammation you need so that other signals in your body, like human growth hormone and, uh, you know, the other... Um, uh, body needs to yeah testosterone. Your body needs to grow, but if you cut off the inflammation, then you're not gonna you're you're dampening the healing effect. And uh, so they're saying that it's not a good idea after exercise to mm-hmm. do cryotherapy. Then uh, the cold shower thing, one thing that's like step one. Then you got the ice baths, right? Uh, uh, well, ice baths are really. Clean. I think the cold chamber is number two because you only mm-hmm. need for like a minute or two minutes. And then three is the ice bath where it's a, a tub full of ice. And I have not done that yet, but I did do an ice chamber where you walk in and you feel uh, nitrogen gas and uh, they cool the air temperature down to minus 200 or 300, something like that. You're only in there for like a minute or two, but that extreme cold exposure, um, it's interesting. Again, your brain can't figure out what's going on and the mitochondria are sensing that this is a, a strange kind of cold because it's not a normal cold, like outside walking in the snow without a jacket. Like, let's say it was uh, 10 degrees outside. I've done mm-hmm. that. You know, I had to go yeah. get something from the car, run to my car, get something, run back in, and it's cold. But minus 200, minus 300, <sighs> your brain has no sense of what is happening. It literally thinks you're going to die. It pulls all the blood away from your skin towards the internal organs to try to save you. All these mm-hmm. neurochemicals uh, are being dumped, endorphins and everything. And uh, again, it's like a minute or two. Some people can stay a little bit longer, but you know, 
not too long. You come out and you just feel high. You feel great. Um, maybe all those endorphins, you energize into the whole day. You feel just like, just amazing. I, I do like cryotherapy for, for those reasons. Where, where was, you said that was like an ice chamber. Like, was that in LA or is that like, are there other? Yeah, so like... Upgrade Labs, uh, that's uh, one oh, of the yeah. base companies. Uh, oh, man. They have a, a full head to toe. So uh, in the, I think the older ones, it was like below your neck. Yes. And they use a nitrogen gas. Um, I think the nitrogen gas kind of surrounded you because you, you don't want to touch nitrogen gas because, you know, you don't want frost. Right. And I think yeah. uh, you have to wear gloves and you have to wear uh, socks or something like that in mm -hmm. those old ones. The new ones, what they do, they're still using nitrogen, but they're cooling the air. So it's, uh, and it's like um, almost like you're walking into a sauna type of thing. Mm -hmm. And you close the door and you're completely inside of this box. And then they cool the air down to like minus 200, 300 or whatever. And mm. again, same thing, you're in there for like uh, a minute or two. Speaking of Upgrade Labs and uh, Dave Asprey, have you uh, checked out his, uh, or the, uh, was it 40 Years of Zen? So I've not personally been to 40 Years of Zen, but it's uh, definitely on my bucket list, to-do list that I want to go. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends who've been mm. there and done it. Mm. And they said that it was a life-changing experience. For those who are not familiar with 40 Years of Zen, it's basically what they did was they studied a uh, Zen monk and they, I guess, took um, uh, brain waves and they kind of measured mm -hmm. when he's in a meditative state. And then they can replicate that state that into a person um, within like five days or a week. They can give you the, the Zen meditation of a monk who's been studying for 40 years in like a week. And... People who come back from 40 years of Zen, that one week, because you have to go, I think somewhere in Seattle, you have to go like stay there. They cook yep. for you. They give you like uh, supplements. They give you everything to optimize that experience, to really kind of reboot the brain and get yeah. everything functioning uh, properly. So this is all biofeedback, neurofeedback. It's uh, neuroscientists here that there's a, a doctors and nurses. They um, hook up the electrodes uh, to your head and then there's a computer monitoring and then they make you go through these different uh, exercises and they're testing how you react. You can then control uh, what you're feeling or doing or thinking and then after that one week, it's like your whole neurology has been rebooted and reset. Mm. And then what people say when they come out of there, they're like ultra focused, that, that little voice in their head that just never shuts up. <laughs> it's like silent. We talk about, uh, in meditation or in coaching a lot about being present. And part of that is just, you know, that quiet mind, which is very difficult because we have this thing called the, uh, the um, already always thinking mind. It's always going, right? Totally. Anxiousness, you know, what happened in the past, what's happening mm -hmm. in the future, and it just doesn't stop. And uh, if that can just put silence and you become present and aware, and from aware present, then you act. It's a totally different, you know, mode of like how you work, how yeah. you deal with your family, how you speak. And, you know, it, and when I talk to people who came back from there, it's like, they, they are very, very calm. So I knew them before where they were yeah. extremely kind of, you know, anxious <laughs> and everything and busy. Yeah. And they just like, kind of like just calmness. And it was like, Oh, wow. I'm like, that's, I see a difference. You physical and mental difference.
Yeah. It's like being more responsive than, than reactive. And yeah. Oh, Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I love hearing that. Like, no, I've, that it's definitely 40 years of Zen is definitely on my, my bucket list too. And, and uh, I think even more so now just hearing you talk about like those testimonies, um, testimonials from your friends there, like I knew about it before, but yeah, it's, it, I don't know. I'm so excited to hopefully experience cost, that. Yeah, <laughs> it is. The cost it is, is expensive. Very high, but you yeah. know, you have to go there. You have to stay there. They, they, they have room and board. They have to feed you and everything. Yep. Um, yeah. That's the pricey. things you can do now. And you're probably mm. familiar with this, like the ParkMap Institute. It has mm. a, a little device that you can check your HRV and do mm. some breathing meditation techniques that can also put you in that calm, relaxed state. They call it, uh, is it cohesiveness? Are you familiar with the HeartMap yeah. Institute? I have, I have the app and, and, uh, yeah. and use it. Um, yeah. So the Inner yeah. Balance is a device and yep. it's, it's cheap. I think it's under $100. Yeah. And you can connect it to an iPhone or a, mm-hmm. a Android phone and just follow, follow it along. You clip something mm-hmm. into your ear or your finger and mm-hmm. uh, it's detecting your HRV, heart rate variability. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have your heartbeat. So if you're at 60 beats per minute and then you mm-hmm. have the HRV, heart rate mm-hmm. variability, which is the timing in between the beats. The more variation between the timing between the beats, the healthier you are. If you're completely in focus, and you're in flow state, your heart, your heart waves match up with your brain waves. They are both in sync. And that's when you're in flow. That's optimally when you're working or doing something in presence, that's where you want to be at. And then there are times you want to be out of flow, kind of want to go in and out of I I, I want to do more with heart math. Just, you know, I guess this is kind of like a little tangent there, like my own, you know, personal certifications, because HRV is, is definitely something that a lot of people like, um, you're, you're talking about wearables. I don't know if you've ever heard of the whoop bracelets. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's something that's, you know, it's very popular, especially I think in like the CrossFit Kingdom, they were a sponsor at one yeah. point. <laughs> um, so I think people are becoming more aware of, of HRV and, um, Especially for athletes, HRV for athletes, it's very, very important because it it tells them the exact how they're recovering because then you will know, try hit it really, really hard today or try just kind of take it, take it a little bit easier on my workout today because the HRV is part of your, uh, so you have your autonomic nervous system and then the, well, I'm sorry, uh, sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. When you're in sympathetic, you're in fight and flight. And when you're parasympathetic, you're in rest and recovery. So HRV is a good indication that if your HRV is not doing well, then you're in fight and flight. Your body is activated and you want to take it easy that day. And if your Mm -hmm. body's in parasympathetic, then your body is in this rest and digest and, you know, uh, relax mode. And uh, so it's, it's recovering. So you mm-hmm. kind of get an idea like where you should be at. And, you know, this is interesting as a massage therapist. I noticed this yeah. a lot. So massage helps people who are high strung and mm-hmm. in sympathetic fight and flight mode, almost instantly after that one hour session, drop into parasympathetic. What happens is you start hearing um, the, the clients or customers, uh, stomach start growling and they always <laughs> say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, uh, that's my stomach or whatever. I'm like, no, that's okay. Because. That's your digestion kicking in now because yeah. you don't relax. And when they get yeah. off the table, they're kind of like a little like woozy, a little like kind of mm. sleepy headed because 
their body went into parasympathetic. Their digestion started up, they're feeling a little bit sleepy, they're a little lightheaded because we got them from that, that high strong down to a, a, a rest mode. It's interesting. Um, I think a lot of people are familiar with the, the phrase uh, fight or flight there with the, the sympathetic fight. Fight, fight or flight. I think I said fright. <laughs> um, could be but fight. <laughs> yeah, it could. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's, there's like what there's, there's four, right. There's like freeze fight. Um, yeah. Freeze fight flight. And I feel, I forget what the fourth one is. Um, maybe it's like, yeah, I'll have to go back and look. Well, but, um, it's interesting. You talk about fright, which is fear. And mm-hmm. when you're in sympathetic fight, flight, freeze, uh, fear mode, your immune system shuts down for several hours and you are more likely to catch something in that time. So if there's a virus, bug, whatever is going around, your immune system is not prepared to fight against it. Super important to understand sympathetic, parasympathetic. It's interesting with fear because, you know, last couple of years, there was a lot of fear mongering that, you know, that fear and the fear porn that was being thrown out there in the media you put everyone in a heightened state of fear. You Absolutely. took the sympathetic nervous system, skyrocketed it up, and it really lowered people's immune system. So people have to kind of understand, like, learn how to, like, you know, take precautions, but learn how to, like, relax also, because the more you're in fear mode, you're shutting off your immune system. And yeah. I don't, do you know Dr. Bruce Lipton? I don't believe so. Uh, so Dr. Bruce Lipton is one of the early proponents of epigenetics, and okay. um, he was doing a lot of research with stem cells, and he discovered that if you take identical cells, uh, mm-hmm. he had cloned cells, they're all identical, and put them in different environments, the cells mm-hmm. took on different properties, depending mm-hmm. on what environment they put them in. And they were clones, they were identical cells of, of each other, it's, so his idea was that your environment influences the cell and it changes yeah. what the cell becomes. So if you're in this stress response, your cells are reacting to the environment. So mm-hmm. you have to be very protective of your environment. You mentioned epigenetics, but that's, you know, like what, when people talk about like their, their genes and everything, it's like, oh, well, uh, you know, I have like whatever certain genes for disease or certain genes for what I like. Yes. But, you know, as you're saying, like, those genes need to express themselves and, and, and given, uh, depending on what the environment is, they can either be turned on or turned off there. So, um, I guess kind of the, the case in point, like, yeah, really focusing on that parasympathetic, uh, state is, is so important for, um, just, just health in general. And like we said, you know, athlete recovery, like, uh, you know, your immune system, like I was talking to someone the other day and like athletes are always ill because, you know, just training alone, you know, forget about just like, don't even like, uh, you know, not, not to mention just the stress or the the psychological stress of, of competition, but just physiologically, the, the stress that they put themselves through, through training, um, does deplete that. But I was going to say really quick, you were talking about people on your, um, on the, the massage table and their stomachs start growling. And it's so true because like, like, like you said, your example there, their, their, their digestion track, you know, their digestive, um, processes start to kind of come back online. And, um, but you even see this, you know, when people are highly stressed, this is why they maybe have gastrointestinal issues there 
or if you've ever seen people who are going through um, periods of chronic high stress, they may lose a lot of weight because they're not eating because again, that that rest and digest is, is turned off for them. And so, you know, they're not either, either it's malabsorption through, you know, gastrointestinal distress, or they're just simply not eating because that part of their body is just not activated. So. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, you hear terms like butterflies in your stomach or your yeah. stomach's in knots. Um, mm-hmm. You're, you're in a sympathetic state because you're parasympathetic, the rest and digest, digestion is shut off. Because yep. you're in a heightened state of, you know, anxiety, nervousness. Your body, what your body's preparing is, is to fight, flight, hide, freeze. You know, you're trying to just run away and trying to protect yourself. It was a evolutionary system designed because, you know, when our ancient ancestors were living, we were in those heightened states because we had to be careful of like uh, lions and tigers and bears living in the forest, <laughs> right? And then wars and things that were happening. So now in modern society, we don't really worry about those things from nature attacking us. So we replaced it with uh, work or family. And so those systems are still in us and they are just reacting to different things. So it's like when you're at that heightened state of fear, it's the same fear like a tiger is going to eat you. So that's what you have to be you know, aware of that. Are you really in danger? becoming fully present and aware. And it was like the thing with the cold shower. So these are the nice things about doing things that are uncomfortable, but you're in control of that. I made a choice to do that cold shower thing. And it was doing something uncomfortable. It was the reason why I did it because I was doing a course in uh, transformation coaching. It was Jim Fortin's transformation coaching program. And Mm -hmm. Jim Fortin says, you have to get comfortable doing the uncomfortable. The other thing he said was transformation does not tolerate mediocrity. So the bigger the transformation you're looking for, like you Mm got to like actually choose to do things differently. So that was my challenge because I hated the cold so much. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to do things differently. And Mm -hmm. I want to choose to do something that's uncomfortable, but I can control the discomfort. Right. And it was very uncomfortable. Like, but I knew I was not going to die. That's why I kept saying to him, I'm not going to die. You know, it's not that cold. Yeah. And it's only for a couple of seconds. It's not like, you know, we're not talking about, you know, going into an ice lake and submerging yourself for like 20 minutes. We're just talking <laughs> some about, people do that. Know, <laughs> yeah, some people do that. Once you get built up to it and get yeah. used to it. And uh, you want to have enough mitochondria in your body and have enough, uh, you know, gradually get up there. Uh, like Wim Hof, who's famous, he has a yeah. world record in being able to do that. Uh, but he's been working on it for years. Yeah, please um, don't do that like your first try. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone listening, yeah, yes. don't go to dive in. Disclaimer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah disclaimer. it's a good disclaimer for all biohacking. <laughs> don't jump yes. into things too fast, too mm-hmm. soon. And mm-hmm. um, take, you know, when you're doing an equal one experiment, you want to take it easy and see mm-hmm. how you react to it and then gradually go up. Uh, you're probably very familiar with this. The, do you remember the first time you took MCT oil? So MCT oil, for those who don't know, is an extract from coconut oil. And uh, it's a medium chain, medium chain triglyceride. And mm-hmm. if you're not used to eating fat, if you take mm-hmm. too much, what Dave Asprey calls disaster pan, yeah. you're going to have a lot of <laughs> digestive problems because your yep. body's just not used to those fats. Maybe you don't have enough enzymes and you have some gut issues. Always recommended to take less. Like take yeah. maybe half a teaspoon just to test it out and slowly gradually go up. So cold therapy, 
whatever you're doing, any biohacking that you're doing, anything that you're going to test, you know, even I showed you some of these things, you know, don't put your whole body weight onto this if you never <laughs> did it before. Uh, Especially your psoas. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm your psoas. So it's a, in general, good disclaimer, start slow and easy and yeah. then gradually, you know, work up your tolerance. One way with supplementation that uh, we were taught in the HPI, uh, Human Potential Institute, um, was when you're doing a supplement, like let's say vitamin C, start with the recommended dose, it says one or two, and then the next couple of days, try a little bit more, try add another one, try three. And then mm -hmm. if you feel fine, then the next day, try four. And if you feel fine, no issues, no problems, then the next day, try five. And then if still have no digestive issues, then try six. But if you try six and you now you're having digestion problems and you're feeling like something's wrong, then go back mm -hmm. to five. So that's mm -hmm. one way you can find uh, what your tolerance to that vitamin. Um, so you can do that with vitamin C, magnesium. Um, so there's some vitamins you can do that with. There's some vitamins you should not do that with. Uh, there's some <laughs> vitamins that like maybe vitamin A's and other vitamins that are um, not Fats, uh, wait, vitamin A is fat soluble, yes. vitamin C is water soluble. So it'll kind of flush right out. So mm -hmm. the, uh, the vitamins that are fat soluble, like vitamin A, vitamin D, uh, you have to be a little bit more careful with those vitamins because they kind of they stay with you. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, in biohacking in general, just take it slow yeah. and easy, really look into it, um, or find a coach, like go to the human potential Institute and find someone that you're, you resonate with. And, um, or another health coach doesn't have to be human potential Institute and work with a, a professional work with a functional medicine doctor. There's yeah. another thing I tell people, you have your medical doctor who's basically just a clinician, a technician. He went to medical school, graduated working for some hospital and he's just getting, making a salary. I don't want to blame them too much because they're so busy. They have such crazy caseload. They don't have the time. They're, they're drowning in patients. They don't have, really have the time. But then you have a functional medicine doctor that after medical school, he continued education and really went into systems thinking and tried to look into prevention and looking for the root and source of the problem. Typically, functional medicine doctors are not going to take medical insurance. They might provide mm -hmm. you a super bill that you can submit to the insurance company and maybe get something back. But working with a functional medicine doctor for prevention and for finding the root cause of a problem is I say super important. Go down that road so that you can solve these issues working with a doctor that specializes in that type of medicine. There's there's a, there's a lot of value to be had from that. Um, I like how we came full circle to, as you mentioned, systems here, kind of going back to your background. Um, is there any other sort of, we, you know, we talked about the kind of the, the self-therapies. We talked a, a little bit about inflammation and we got into we didn't say this explicitly, but uh, it, when we were talking about sympathetic versus uh, parasympathetic, that was basically stress response, which, you know, again, can go into that, that pain management. I mean, there's quite literally a um, mindfulness-based stress reduction course out there where people who are in like actual physical pain, it's not just the emotional pain. And I know that's a, a topic for another day, but stress does play a role into, you know, yeah. pain and processing in the body. But I guess with all of that said, is there, is there any other sort of 
last minute kind of burning um, pieces of advice or bio, biohacks that, that you feel like would be of value or something that we should bring up? So let's, uh, I have a little list here. So let's go really fast. Maybe you can just go like, you know, really quick what we can help with. So All right, let's do it. <laughs> uh, improve sleep. So mm. we talked about a little bit about melatonin. Uh, we mm -hmm. didn't get in too much into it, but like getting some, uh, so I got three of them here, right? You have these uh, glasses that you can wear uh, an hour or two before bedtime. This one is like the most extreme version. So that will help your body get into uh, parasympathetic and rest mode mm -hmm. because it's blocking the, the blue lights are turning the signals on to keep you awake. If you want deep sleep and you don't want to take melatonin, you can just wear this an hour before bed and it'll mm -hmm. block all the bad light. Those are the true dark glasses. Yeah, okay. this particular brand, um, mm -hmm. and this particular brand with this extreme red, when you put these on, I look like a superhero. <laughs> the only cool. issue with this uh, is that it really blocks a lot of light. So there's anything ah. red, like if you're looking at your, your cell phone and there's anything mm -hmm. red on your screen, you're not going to see it. Some things have become invisible because if they're the color red, you're not mm. going to be able to see it. So it's interesting. But yeah, you don't wear these all day. You just wear them about a half hour or an hour or two before going to bed. Um, uh, let's see, let's go the next thing. Uh, so for some people, like you were talking about stress, hypnotherapy. Mm. So people don't know this. Hypnotist and hypnotherapy was something that was recommended by the American Medical Association in the 19, um, I don't know what, it was a long time ago. I don't know if it was the 60s or 70s. But at some point, there was some political thing and they stopped recommending it. And there was actually a mm. point where they wanted every medical doctor to learn hypnotherapy, to work with and then I don't know what happened. Again, maybe it was political or whatever, and they removed it. Um, hypnotherapy, subconscious reprogramming. Uh, there's a doctor, Dr. Sarno, who talks about healing back pain, and he had a lot of great results um, doing a type of meditation that deals with mm. chronic pain, and mm. that was very a stand-up desk. People who work a lot, so this, what I'm using right now, is a stand-up desk. So you want to, you know, something that goes up and down, yeah, uh, so I that you're that not too. always sitting, sitting down. Uh, intention setting. We talked about that. You really have to believe that you can heal and you have to have yeah. a purpose to heal. So that one client I had that, uh, that was with the left side atrophying and they told him he would, um, they didn't know how he was walking. He told me a, another story where he was driving a, um, a manual clutch transmission. So he had, you know, shifting gears and left foot has a clutch. Okay. He decided that, um, recently to, to switch it to an automatic car because mm -hmm. he thought by pressing with his left leg and clutching that maybe it was hurting his back or something like that. He wasn't sure. So he just switched. He told me now his left leg is getting weaker. Mm -hmm. And I told him, well, you're not, you were using that left leg to clutch. So you gave it a reason to do something. Now it mm -hmm. has nothing to do. So now it's getting weaker. So if you want to heal something, you have to have a reason and a purpose. And let me tell you another story, a personal story. I was working out. I was uh, doing a push uh, with uh, resistant bands and a steel bar, that was three bar. And the bar slipped and it caught my thumb and my thumb swelled up. And it was like double the size of the other, other thumb. And I couldn't touch my fingers. And I had to go to work three days later and I had a full day of clients uh, all day. And I'm like, you know, I didn't know if I broke it or not. I couldn't really move it. And right. I'm like, I need to heal. I put an intention out there. Like, I need to heal in three days because I'm not canceling appointments. 
And then, you know, I have all these things. I put a red light on it and, um, you know, PEMF and all these things I was just putting on it, put CBD um, and intention. I just went to sleep at night and I said, you know, just um, whatever you believe in, whatever your spirituality is, I'm not religious, but, you know, I believe in some higher consciousness, divine mind, infinite spirit, God, whatever you want to call uh, some higher thing or your your higher self, your yeah. own soul, whatever you want sure. to call upon. Say, I said, I, I need this to heal. And I was just imagining, uh, visualizing and feeling like healing elements going in there. Like your body can produce human growth hormone. Your body can produce stem cells. I'm like, just send it, send everything there, fix it in three days. And the next day I felt better. And then two days later, I was able to touch my finger. And then on that third day where I had to work, I was able to move, move it enough where I can work. And then within a week, it was like 80% better. And within two weeks, it was like 100% better. And there's no swelling, full function. As a matter of fact, it feels better than before I heard it. Because, you know, now that your attention is to heal, it's bodies just kept sending stuff to it. And yeah, it actually feels better than before I heard it. So uh, intention setting. Um, and let's see. Uh, uh, I think we can save some of this for later. We covered a lot. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's about all I wanted to cover for today. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for being here today, Amir. Um, really quick. So, um, so a couple of things I, we, we talked about a lot of things and I will do my best to put as many links, um, in the show notes as possible for people who are looking for, um, some of the stuff we've talked about, but more importantly, um, one of the most important links I'll put in my, my, uh, show notes is how to connect with Amir. So um, what, as far as like your website, social media? Sure. So uh, my website is qxplife.com and Q is quantify, X is expand and P is performance. So you want to quantify, you want to expand and you want to perform. And uh, so qxplife.com, they can go there, they can sign up for the newsletter. And I am going to be launching a course to teach the basics of health and biohacking. So that's things. So if you're really busy, just don't have time. There's a, I really like to work with busy people, like executives, entrepreneurs, CEOs, uh, or just professionals or managers that they're working like 60 plus hours per week. They don't have time. Um, and they're trying to find what we call hacks, biohacks. How can I get into better health? Because they need a solution now. Like, we talk about a lot of different things and there's so much you can do. And there's so much organization of this stuff and there's so much time and there's only so much time you have. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be leading this four week course that will kind of simplify things, take, take things a step down, give you a result at the end of four weeks, have more energy, possibly weight loss if that's one of your goals. But my focus is getting you towards the trending in better health and quantifying it. That's why I have the QXP. You want to quantify yeah. it and measure it somehow that there was you before and the you now, right? Yeah. Uh, the one that your desired result. So you have your current reality and a desired reality. So you want to mm-hmm. move into this more optimal self. And once you achieve that optimal self and you feel better and you're like, oh, that made a difference. And then it will really get you motivated and enthusiastic in doing more. And mm-hmm. uh, there's there's so much... Um, you know, if we had another two hours, we could go really <laughs> deep, but uh, we're going to cut this off today. But uh, it, 
that's why there's a course to try to like simplify things and break it down and um, yeah. make it more accessible. And some of this technology is because you can go crazy with it. There are things out there that are like 50,000, 100,000. It's like, well, what about the rest of us? The things you can do now that's yep. accessible that might be free, a couple of bucks that you can afford and doesn't take your time. Yeah. The two biggest thing I hear is I don't have time and I don't have energy. Those are the two yeah. biggest things I hear. So I was like, all right, how can we show you with the least amount of time yeah. while increasing your energy and, um, you know, you you know, the minimum effective dose that yeah. really gives you results. So yeah, yeah, they can just go to qxplife.com and find me there. And okay. my name is, you know, Amir Khan and they can just yeah, hook me up. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, that's so exciting. And uh, I'll, I'll just kind of say really quickly, like, I love the fact that you're just looking at, like you mentioned, minimal effective dose, because I think what people um, don't realize is that it, it there can be just like, just like the very simplest hacks, you know, very simply uh, implemented with the most efficiency can have like the most profound effect on people's lives. So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm so excited that you're, you're launching this program and you're going to be sharing it with so many people who, who really do need it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, anything else to, to say before we sign off for today or? Uh, just wishing everyone peace and love and uh, just remember, you know, we're all here to grow and expand together. And there's a lot of stuff that's going on the outside right now and the external world. And you want to just uh, be part of the solution and really try to be present and aware. And um, you can't really control what other people do. The only thing you can do is control what you do. So. Be mindful of the choices you're making starting from now. Man. I could not have said that better myself. So thank you so much again, Amir. It's, it's truly been a pleasure and it's been so much fun. And um, I'm uh, sending you so much gratitude and appreciation and uh, we'll speak soon. Oh, thank you, Bridget. This is a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much again for listening and be sure to head over to aspiretocoaching.com backslash podcast to check out the show notes for today's episode. There you'll find some of the links we've mentioned on today's podcast, as well as some of the previous episodes we've done. And while you're there, please make sure you sign up for show updates. I am always updating the show and bringing in bonus content. So you do not want to miss out on any of that. One last thing. If you loved this episode and you think a friend would really enjoy it as well, grab the link and share it out for me, please. It truly does help spread the word of this podcast and the topics that we discussed on our episodes. And at the end of the day, my goal is to empower as many people on their performance journey as possible. Thank you all so much again, and we'll see you next time. 